Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. When Biden announced moves last year to reform cannabis, most thought it was just virtue signaling. Then, late last month, the Department of Health and Human Services surprised the entire industry with a recommendation to reclassify cannabis from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 under the Controlled Substances Act. A few weeks later, the Congressional Research Service predicted the DEA would follow that recommendation, quote-unquote, if passed as prologue. And most recently, a perennial debated bipartisan bill that would open up banking options to the cannabis industry passed a key Senate committee for the first time. How long would the DEA process take? Will they follow HHS's recommendation or go for a middle-of-the-road option? Will the Safer Banking Act survive further votes in the full Senate and Republican-controlled House? How will this impact the nation's $33 billion cannabis industry? Tune in as shareholder Joshua Weiss and policy advisor Osiris Morrell discuss recent developments and predict where we go from here. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Hi, Osiris. Hi, Josh. Thanks for joining to chat a little bit about uh, recent developments over the last couple of weeks in the cannabis world, especially um, the Department of Health and Human Services recommendation that the DEA reschedule cannabis uh, from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3, and a late-breaking development this week with the U.S. Congress voting out of committee a bill that would open up baking services to cannabis companies, which has uh, been tried and failed seven or eight times now. Um, but uh, Cyrus, yeah, if you don't mind, um, maybe tell us a little bit about kind of the current state of play and what's been happening in the last week or two. Yeah, a month ago, I think really surprising news sort of surfaced headlines on every single cannabis website I've ever seen. Secretary Becerra decided to make an announcement to DEA. They released a report just saying, we no longer think that cannabis needs to be scheduled as a Schedule One substance on the Controlled Substances Act, uh, that it will now be scheduled as a Schedule Three drug, which is the most fascinating news we've really seen in the cannabis industry in years, truthfully. The only downside of it is that the letter that was sent over from HHS to the DEA hasn't been released. So we don't actually know what scientific research and analysis they used, but it's a pretty fascinating time. Yeah. And, and I think there's a few points worth unpacking there uh, that really makes this a big development for the industry. Um, folks who have been watching this issue for a while will, will probably recall that President Biden directed HHS to undertake this review uh, almost a year ago. It was October of 2022. Joe Biden has, has been notoriously um, kind of an old school Democrat in the sense of how he approaches uh, recreational drug use and um, folks were expecting that move last year to be more more for show than substance. And then here we have less than a year later, HHS coming out with a full rescheduling recommendation. Um, I, I think the other thing that's worth noting here is, while, as you noted, this, this now goes to DEA, who has ultimate authority on how drugs are scheduled, every indication is that DEA is, is likely to rely on how HHS analyzed the science and the data. Uh, and instead, DEA is going to be focused more on the criminal drug side of things, which given the proliferation of recreational and 
medical cannabis across the country is not likely to be a big impediment, but, but one of the other big question marks. And I think, you know, you and I and others at the firm have written about this in the past is how long will the DEA process take? Right. Osiris, I, I think, um, I think you looked into the last rescheduling. Do you, you maybe want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, that's right. I think it's really interesting that the HHS was able to make such a recommendation in 11 months. I don't think anyone in the industry saw that coming. Where the DEA decides to go from here is to be determined. There's nowhere in statute or in law that says that they need to make an announcement anytime soon. And for no reason would the DEA come out and say, we just received HHS's recommendation and in 11 months we're going to follow suit and do the same thing. So we're all just anxiously waiting to see when they decide to do this. And there's two benefits to that. One, I think DEA not making an announcement sort of gives them time really to review what the recommendation came from HHS. The only downfall is, is that we all know the DEA is sort of in the business of narcotics and enforcing drug policy. So will they actually take the recommendation of HHS? Will they take a little bit of a more harder approach and schedule it to a schedule two substance? I think that's something that's on all of the industry stakeholders' minds is really everyone was hoping that there would be some type of recommendation that it would be descheduled completely and it's no longer considered a controlled substances drug. While wishful thinking on on all of our end, it's very unlikely that that would happen. I think, as you mentioned before, President Biden's middle of a road Democrat and he's come out and said that he's not fully for legalization yet. He does see the medical benefits of it, but no way or shape or form was he going to just totally let the HHS fly with a descheduling ruling. And I don't think the DEA would have either. Yeah, that's a great point. And and I think it's worth unpacking a little bit what the implications of that rescheduling would be, um, you know, from the analysis that we've done and the, the time that we've spent working in this industry, you know, it's not a, a total green flag, pun unintended, for the whole industry. But um, it does open up a lot if if uh, cannabis is rescheduled to Schedule 3. And for those less acquainted with the Controlled Substances Act, Schedule 3 is where you find drugs like ketamine and anabolic steroids. And so um, those are drugs where uh, the relevant medical authorities have deemed there to be a valid medical use, a relatively low risk of abuse and addiction. Um, and that's how HHS presumably reached its conclusion. But um, the implications for cannabis, at least on the medical side, is really big because if cannabis is rescheduled, you could see a path to interstate commerce, at least for medical cannabis. Uh, recreational would not be touched there. You would see changes in who can grow cannabis for additional research purposes, which doesn't get as much press, but has been a really big impediment in the world of studying cannabis because the DEA has some very tight limits on who can grow research cannabis and how much can be grown. Um, and then for the industry, the biggest change, um, and this overlaps with the um, safer banking bill that just got voted out of committee, but making cannabis something less than a schedule one substance means that those medical cannabis companies um, would be able to deduct the costs of selling their product um, for federal income tax filings. And that's, that's called um, rule 280E. And it's something that every business in the country is able to benefit from. But until now, 
uh, cannabis companies have not been able to, which has really hurt their bottom line. And then, frankly, uh, just for everyday people, um, you'd also see a lot of changes in terms of access to public housing, uh, ability to obtain immigrant and non-immigrant visas, um, the purchase and possession of firearms. There's just so many ways in which rescheduling cannabis and opening the path to a real federal medical marijuana regime would change federal employment, eligibility to serve in the military. Um, it, it really just goes on and on. So it's a very exciting and um, major development for the industry. Yeah. A lot of changes that you're going to see are going to be on the recreational side. This is great just for the industry more broadly, but recreational cannabis industries is really going to receive the benefits. And I think something else to touch on is how does the rescheduling more broadly impact federal and state law, right? There's a huge conflict that's happening right now. States nationwide are legalizing recreational and medical cannabis, and yet they're still unable to have access to traditional banking services. They're not able to you know, get tax benefits. And what does rescheduling really look like for the conflict between state and federal? And how does how does this approach it, if, if it does at all? And I think that sort of pivots a little nicely into what just recently happened in Congress yesterday with the former Safe Banking and now Safer Banking Act. Yeah, that that's a great segue, Osiris, because and you know, you and I have known people directly where um, because of the strict rules around banking and financial services for folks in the cannabis industry, there are folks who can't get mortgages or get their bank accounts closed just because their paycheck comes from a cannabis company. And so rescheduling will have a huge impact on that, but safer banking, um, which, you know, I guess uh, the saying is eighth time is the charm, uh, at least from representative Perlmutter's perspective, might actually get the job done after a lot of false starts. Can you maybe say a little bit about what the bill would do and, and where it stands in the um, congressional process right now? So the bill was first introduced in the 115th Congress by former Rep. Ed Perlmutter from our home state, Colorado. The bill originally was titled the Safe Banking Act, Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act. And what it aimed to do was provide safe harbor for financial institutions and ensure, and this is probably the most important aspect of the bill, to ensure that small and medium-sized cannabis companies had access to traditional banking services and could operate like any old regular business. It's now become the SAFER Banking Act, and the R stands for regulation. Once it passed out of the House, I think it's been seven, eight times now over the years, it's sort of headed over to the Senate. In the last Congress, we saw it come down to the wire. Unfortunately, it just wasn't able to make it over the finish line. When it was introduced this year, we had some new co-sponsors, Ed Perlmutter had retired and, and Congressman Dave Joyce took it over from Ohio, a Republican congressman, which is important because Congress is currently in a Republican majority in the House. And then we saw in the Senate an unusual champion take the bill from the Republican side, and that was Steve Daines from Montana. He, in the past, has not been very advocate on the Safe Banking Act, and nor has he uh, co-sponsored it. So it was really interesting to see him take such a strong approach and and really decide to be the lead sponsor of the bill. Um, 
with with Senator Merkley. Uh, for the first time, I think it's like five years, the Senate Banking Committee decided that they were going to start marking up bills. And it's kind of comical. Everyone's like, oh, they decided to mark up a cannabis bill after five years of not marking up a single banking bill. It was able to make it out of the committee on a 14 to 9 vote, which is amazing. Uh, the only Democrat that didn't vote in favor of it was Senator Warnock from Georgia. He has some concerns about criminal justice reform and social equity. And we're hoping that potentially when it hits the floor, maybe some of those issues can be resolved. Um, Senator Schumer has shared that he'd like to in include the, the HOPE Act which is a legislation that aims to provide states with grants that can help with expungement and criminal justice reform, and also include the Graham Act, which is from Congressman Mast of Florida, a Republican. And that bill would ensure that Second Amendment rights are protected. For Warnock specifically, we're hoping that maybe the HOPE Act can be something that helps ease some of his concerns around criminal justice reform. But to be determined. And then three Republicans that voted in favor of it, Senator Daines as our lead, Senator Lummis, and Senator Kramer. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Osiris. And, and I think it's worth um, highlighting the kind of peculiar and overlapping, intersecting political interests that we're observing here, because very few political issues attract the diverse types of support and opposition that we're seeing here. Uh, you know, obviously, on the one hand, we're coming up to a major election year, including a top line presidential election. You've got small government, small regulation, Republicans, uh, often in favor of some of these cannabis policies. Um, you've got folks who want to support small businesses and, you know, homegrown, pun intended, industries. And then you've also got folks that are interested in de-weaponizing the banking system and facilitating commerce in a space that for almost a decade now we've we've been able to see can be done lawfully, properly, well regulated. And you know, the opposition is really coming from a couple of folks that are just dug in against cannabis in any way, shape or form and, you know, have the same war on drugs line that you would have seen in the Nixon administration. But then you have, as you noted, folks that just have some particular goals that they're trying to accomplish in the same uh, vein involving uh, criminal justice reform, sentencing expungement, gun rights, um, which kind of, as you noted, spans Democrats all the way over to Republicans. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of support the Safer Banking Act bill gets. Uh, but it's also worth noting that um, Majority Leader Schumer said that he intends to bring safer banking to the floor for a vote, uh, quote, as quickly as possible. So I think it'll be important for folks to watch and see what uh, happens in D.C. over the next few months. And it could very well be that we ring in 2024 with a very different landscape for cannabis at the federal level than we've ever seen in uh, in our lifetimes. Yeah, I think something that you hit on was the presidential election. There's no Republican right now that's going on that debate stage saying, I support cannabis and we need to legalize it right now. That's no one's talking point. And we've seen that from President Biden. He's not as progressive as some younger Democrats may hope that he would be, but he's certainly discussing the issue, how it negatively impacts communities, particularly low-income and minority communities and communities that have been deeply affected by the war on drugs. 
Well, and even just to, to that point, Osiris, um, I, I think it's worth noting that the cannabis industry right now, depending on who you ask, you're looking at a 30 plus billion with a B uh, annual industry across the country. And just by virtue of lack of access to banking, uh, lack of 280E tax deductions, what you've seen is a lot of cannabis companies and the ones that are making a lot of money and, and got in early were folks who benefit from various forms of institutional privilege and had access to cash and investors that were willing to front the cost. And I think there's a, a background hope of not only, you know, is, is a safer banking bill and a rescheduling pro-business more broadly, um, but it, it's especially beneficial to communities of color um, and folks that have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs because your ability to open a dispensary or, or start a growing operation changes dramatically if you can go to a bank and ask for a loan versus needing to raise all that capital yourself. Yeah, the end of the year should be very interesting for the DEA, for the Congress. I mean, Timelines are just really up in the air for both the agency and the federal government. When the DEA will make an announcement is so unknown at the moment, and we really can't even estimate when the Senate would be able to mark up this legislation or when they would even be able to pass it over to the House floor and, and then head it over to the president's desk. And, and what the markup process will look in the House could be completely different than what we've even seen in the Senate. So I think there's a lot of a lot of pass forward for the cannabis industry. Um, it's just a wait and see game at the moment. Wait and see indeed. Uh, maybe you and I can do this again uh, once we get some more movement from our friends in DC. Yeah, I'll look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Osiris. Talk soon, Josh. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farbershreck podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.